Eric, you brought us to this amazing Virgin Productions studio here in Hollywood. Is that just to learn about the Mandalorian changing the way we do production, whether because for commercials, TV shows, movies, and more? Well, yeah, I mean, the Mandalorian did revolutionize the way we do production, but when it comes to volumetric and virtual production, they're both going to come together and spark yet another revolution. Oh, so you're saying we're about to have a new Mandalorian effect. Exactly. Welcome to the Volumetric Roundtable, where we talk about the latest happenings in the world of volumetric and talk with experts and leaders in the volumetric industry. I'm Eric Azarez, product developer at Dengenuity Labs, and I'm here with Diddy Breitenfeld, founder of Dengenuity Labs. Hey guys, glad to be here. And today we are in for a treat because we have not just one, but two special guests. And this podcast is so jam-packed and overflowing with knowledge, we're going to have to make this a two-part episode. So this is part one of a two-part series where we talk about the volumetric and virtual production business. We've got JT from XR Studios, a digital production company specializing in creating immersive content for entertainment. And Piot from Arcturus, a company that specializes in building tools for editing and delivering volumetric content. So, JT, Piot, welcome. Thank you. Great to be here. Thank you. Maybe we can start with JT. Can you give us an introduction about who you are and what you do? Yeah, sure. I'm with XR Studios, a company that started right around 2020, but kind of comes from a bunch of early testings and learnings from a couple of years prior to that. And XR Studios is a technology-focused production company based especially in extended reality. There's been a lot of terms, there's been a lot of acronyms, but we've been calling it XR. We started especially focused in LED-based production for live entertainment. So lots of work with multi-camera broadcast live concerts, live streams, esports, corporate events, stuff like that. And then over the last couple of years, we've really spread out of it more to be across a lot of what I would call maybe more traditional in-camera VFX or virtual production that we'll talk about today. So lots of commercials, music videos, single camera shoots. So our space is very uh, fortunately in the center of Hollywood. We're located in the original Eastman Kodak building from the 20s, where a lot of early experiments happened with film and we're happy to be continuing that sort of mad scientist adventure today. It's, it's changed a lot. It's been great. Very cool. Very exciting. And Piotr, can you give us an introduction? Sure. Hi. So I am with Arcturus. We have developed a software platform for the editing, compressing, and streaming of volumetric video. We were founded about just shy of seven years ago now, and this has been our primary and sole focus for all that time. So we have kind of come up with the volumetric video space as it's kind of entered. I won't call it quite the mainstream just yet, but certainly being accepted and explored by a lot of various industries and sectors. Uh, and I'm excited to talk about this one in particular with virtual production. Um, specifically uh, at Arcturus, I'm responsible for partnerships, marketing, uh, focused on deepening the world's awareness of volumetric video, its various use cases. You know, what does that look like? It manifests in supporting clients, helping them make the most of their volumetric projects. Because ultimately, the fact of the matter is very few people really tap into volumetric video's potential. And uh, I want to help make that happen. All right. Very cool. 
You know, I think um, from an outsider's point of view, it may seem that these are two sort of different technologies, but there's a lot of similarities. And one of them is that there are volumetric stages and virtual production stages. Maybe we can get a sense of what that market size is, what the industry looks like today. And then we can use that as our ground base of how we start to compare the two, both from a technology point of view, but a business point of view, from a growing pains point of view. And we're going to get into a lot more. So from a volumetric point of view, how does the, the stage industry look right now? Uh, from from a volumetric point of view, there are currently uh, over a hundred volumetric capture studios around the world. Uh, that has uh, had a major growth spurt during the pandemic. It has slowed down this year, but it remains uh, kind of like in a growth period, uh, which is super exciting. So it's not like it's it's not like it's in every single city, but it is in a lot. And it's certainly in every major production center around the world. We've seen that growth kind of like, like as I said, steady with like a bit of a burst uh, over the pandemic years, which makes sense as people were kind of exploring other options to create footage and to create things within the XR world. Uh, and now we're starting to see kind of a renewed focus space in particular because of virtual production. Yeah. And and so how does that compare to the the virtual production stage business, uh, JT? Yeah, it's been an interesting one. I mean, I think volumetric has been around in a lot of different ways. And there's these big ups and downs, depending on what's happening in the the catalyst for a lot of that. For a lot of people was the pandemic. So in the same way that you're saying that things perked up for a bit and then leveled out, I would say... There's a lot of similarities in the virtual production world. When it really kind of got big and from a sort of democratization and a marketing and sort of awareness standpoint, you know, obviously the um, the Mandalorian show, Disney and Star Wars was really popular and really well known and really brought awareness to a lot of people that this was even possible. But there, as all things, there was, you know, some examples before that, but... When we first got started in May of 2020, I think there were two or three stages in Los Angeles. And now there's probably about 15 to 20. And every major market keeps on growing and growing. So there is a quite big boom of a lot of it. There's probably a lot to unpack with that about how it's grown and changed. And there's a little bit of a dot-com bubble kind of to consider with that a bit. It's definitely been a a wild ride uh, to kind of see it going. And I think the biggest thing about it is because of that pandemic sort of boost, you get this thing, I keep calling it contagious innovation, where one thing is growing and one thing is doing this. And then, oh, we need some volumetric video to do this, to put in this, you know, like once you take off all these normal rules and people are in a sort of panicked situation, you really find people opening up to a lot of stuff. So we were all streaming all of our shoots using Zoom and other normal platforms, which people wanted to do before COVID, but didn't really have the impetus to do it. So I think a lot of things got really, really accelerated and virtual production is definitely one of them. Oh my God. Before you continue, this was, (laughs) I had to write down contagious innovation. That was awesome. (laughs) (laughs) It's like my McDonald's catchphrase right now, but I think it's so true of how it feels right now. And when we see each other at conferences and just see someone come out with a new tool, it feels very explosive right now. And it's super fun. Like it's, it's a great time in the industry and that's part of it. It's a positive spin on the fear of missing out. I think the interesting thing you said, 
JT there. And then also how Eric introduced you both is that you're sort of industry leaders here, being at the ground floor of both of those technologies. And the, the fact that there's now lots of stages in both of them is because of continuous innovation. But also, I think it shows the appetite that there is a desire to reduce costs, change the way we do production that is more tangible, more immersive, more inviting, if you will. And that's what those two stages sort of have in common. It's not just we show up with a camera, we do a shoot, we then post, and then we get it ready for delivery, and then the viewer gets to see it. That workflow is not there in both of those stages, yet there is that momentum in both these industries. How do you both see that that world sort of or the the audience in that world sort of diving into these technologies and learning about it. And what are the similarities that we think that that overlap between the two about educating the industry about a whole new way to do production? Sure. I mean, like there's plenty to unpack there too. For us, what we've seen over the past two years in particular, you know, let's focus in on on virtual production. I think we can agree that Epic is really powering the way forward with this uh, and the exploration of what virtual production looks like. We are, and in all transparency, I'll add that uh, Epic Games is an investor in Arcturus and sits on our board, but they are keen to understand how do volumetric humans influence virtual production and where do they play a role? How do they play a role in solving Hollywood's uh, problems? Maybe problems even though that they haven't even considered. Things like sustainability, lowering costs of uh, extras on set. There are all kinds of ways that volumetric humans kind of step into that space. And uh, as well as not just kind of like the actual production days, but also you know, where it integrates in various points in production itself, virtual art department, previs, sure, principal photography, VFX, all of these areas are valid exploration spaces for volumetric humans. And it's almost like a matter of focus, like where do you start first um, and how do you adjust production budgets to accommodate that. This is going to cause a a significant upheaval in how films are made, how TV and film is made. And that's not a small task. We're suggesting a change to how production is done in a system that has been doing this a specific way for a hundred years now. Uh, And we're telling them, no, there's a better way. Uh, Obviously there's pushback. I think it's really funny. Like ILM did a really nice thing when they called it the volume, having the Mandalorian set where they was called the volume. And it's really annoying for our two industries because people get really confused <laughs> if we're doing volumetric production or no, virtual production. But you know, the really interesting thing about it is that because it's called the volume, the reason why it's called that is because you're moving into a three-dimensional space. And the interesting thing about when you add another dimension to your production is that it's not a doubling of complexity and stuff like that. It's like a square root or whatever, you know, like it just, it is this exponential thing because we're adding a whole other plane. I don't know how else to describe it. It's like when you go from a side scroller with Mario brothers and you go into a 3d world now, like there's just more stuff to worry about more stuff to discuss, which is exciting. But I do think it means that it's this huge up people. I totally agree. Cause you're just now thinking about things in a different space. Everything needs to be tracked. Everything needs to be in a 3D world. And volumetric video for me is like 
such a clear path to get into that place because we're working in a volumetric ecosystem now. It's funny when you said that I was thinking about like the old stage plays where you have 2D cutouts of like trees. I guess you can get away with that if you're just on a 2D side scroller, like you said, like an old video game. But now to be immersive and convincing and not to look fake, things do need to change and things do need to be in 3D. I, you know, ironically, a lot of people are using two and a half D workflows <laughs> on our stage because it's like that opera flat thing you're discussing. But it's tied to the camera, though. It's tied to one perspective. And it is so limiting that it's so, yeah, it's just so clear that if we're making all these awesome things in a video game engine like Unreal or similar and able to, uh, you know, move the position of the sun and change shadows, like, why would you not want to be able to do that with human assets as well or real footage? It's a perfect time where both industries are going to be colliding into each other. But back to sort of that earlier statement about, you know, innovation right now is that it's all connected because it's, you know, everything that happens in virtual production is going to happen in wearables and it's going to happen out in the world on mobile platforms. And it's all just kind of mushing together at a very, very fast pace. But I guess that's what makes it exciting. JT, I mean, I, I couldn't agree more like this. Um, the, the thing that I have been thinking a lot about recently has been an IP value chain. And there's something about the reusability of the materials. Because they're, they're three-dimensional, they can be then utilized in any number of ways that, that make it such a powerful uh, a product, right? A powerful tool that you can then, if you've got this one thing that you can then reuse in all of these other places, oh my God, uh, it's a game changer for everything. I think on the education part of it as well, like the rate and the speed of what everything is changing is quite interesting again on that exponential sort of point. I think a lot of it comes, to be honest, that you know, Epic and Unreal have a huge play in this. It's been democratized to a level that is astounding. The fact that when, when UE4 became free, I don't think any of us realized the implications of that. And I think something that I've noticed now is that it is so accessible. Computers that you can buy now for cheaper rates and the fact that engine you can start on a free level and all sort of stuff like that. It's putting technology into the hands of such a more diverse and large group of people than ever before. Whereas, you know, early 90s 3D animation, it's not like anyone could get into that casually. You had to have a very expensive machine, you had to have expensive software, all sorts of stuff like that. And even in my background, I come from a world of concert tours and shows and only the really, really big shows had the budgets and only certain tools could be used and all sorts of stuff like that. So creating standards and creating workflows you just had to call the other eight people doing it. And there you go, you had your standards. Whereas now we have tens of thousands of people using these tools at the same time, doing really amazing and creative things with it, which is really fun because it brings in whole new voices and gives people access. But I think it's been something I've been pointing to recently of like, it's really hard to control the ship because there's a million different ships going in different directions. And that's a good thing, I think, in the long term, but it definitely makes standardization and education hard because I love that virtual production is like, you know, my, my mom knows what virtual production is now from watching, you know, TV shows, but that makes it really hard to like write a one sheet about how it works. There's something about that with the democratization of it. The fact that people have LiDAR scanners on their iPhones now. And with, you know, Apple's new product next year and stuff like that, volumetric video is going to be what people take selfies with. 
So that democratization is going to cause an explosion. Traditionally, at least in the media and entertainment business, the democratization falls into two paths. Either standards groups sort of get together with industry leaders and creators and they solve the problem together and that takes time. Or there's usually two front runners and we can look at streaming as the latest example of that. We all know what streaming is and we all watch content. There's only really two standards that are behind that and that's MPEG and that is Apple's HLS. Uh, So if you're building a streaming platform, you're definitely going to be doing one of the two. And that didn't happen overnight. That took over 10 years. I think the fact that we're having this conversation, not just on this podcast, but as we're seeing the the excitement over the new Apple ProVision um, headset, as we're seeing the excitement of doing Nerf with virtual production, there's more and more people that are talking about trying to get ahead of these pain points like standards and that will actually build out a much more stable business environment because you can actually go into a stage, start a new business, knowing that you're going to have an audience that doesn't have to be educated, that can create a product and content without a learning curve and then also new tools that can be built that are going to democratize things even more. I think we're at a point where we're seeing the momentum to support standards. What do you guys think about that? Well, I think we're all in agreement that standards are going to help drive the industry, right? As soon as there is kind of like a regimented process and we can depend on a certain format then yes, of course, it kind of like it, it drives larger, faster acceptance, no doubt, unquestionably. And I think your point about like that it's going to take some time is also accurate, right? Uh, the This isn't something anybody's going to race to and we're not going to have a solution for this year, but certainly not for a lack of trying um, and not for a lack of desire. Like all of us would like to see that happen so that we can kind of get to the next stage. So that was part one of our chat with Piot and JT. We had a great discussion about the growth of virtual and volumetric production and talked about the similarities between the two businesses. Now, stay tuned for part two, because we're going to continue the conversation and talk about how to grow a business based around a new technology. We'll talk about scalability and we'll even talk about the implications of working in a 3D world. So if you're interested in learning about the Volumetric Format Association, you can go to volumetricformat.org forward slash join to learn more about our various membership tiers. The community membership is free to join, so be sure to check it out. Thanks again for listening to the Volumetric Roundtable podcast. We'll see you very soon for part two.